Today's scripture reading is from John 3, 1 to 15. Now there is a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen. But still you people do not accept our testimony. I've spoken to you of early, earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. This is the word of the Lord. Before we move to D.C., I had to request copies of my birth certificate as part of the immigration application process for my family. I only had that original weathered copy of my birth certificate. So I hopped online and requested several copies from the county clerk to submit in my application. Now, the certificate was required by U.S. immigration to prove my status as a U.S. citizen. But... I don't need that birth certificate to prove that I was born. I'm here. I exist. The fact that I'm here today proves that I was born, right? Now, if you spent some time in the Christian church, you may have heard the question, have have you been born again? For many in the American and evangelical church, particularly since the 18th century Great Awakening revival that took place, The answer to this question has been thought to be like a spiritual milestone for Jesus followers. And often we, it refers to a point where Christ followers experience some come to Jesus moment where we, uh, it's characterized by a confession of our sin and inviting Jesus to be Savior and Lord of our lives. But as someone who grew up in the church, I used to feel bad that I didn't have this huge momentous or memorable occasion to frame my spiritual journey. And it's like when people ask this question, have you been born again? It's like we want to frame our birth certificate and put it on the wall and go to different people and say, hey, can I, can I see your birth certificate on the wall? And when we go to birthdays, we're saying, hey, come and take a look at my birth certificate. But the point in celebrating the birth of someone and remembering the birth of someone is that we're alive. We're here. And that our lives continue to grow and to be healthy. We focus on celebrating the person that we know and the celebrating the person that we are becoming. I think that's what it means to celebrate the birth of someone. The term born again comes from today's text, as Ashley just read for us in verse 3, and it's repeated a few times. And this passage also contains one of the most 
often quoted Bible verses at sports arenas and at protests when placards that say John 3.16. And these two particular verses are set in an encounter, an encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus. And as we look at this text today, I hope that we can remember what this phrase means. And I hope that we can discover what it means to be born again, again. And, and encounter the God that grants us this new birth. In this encounter we, between Nicodemus and Jesus, we find that there's more than a question being asked, and that with Jesus, there's more than a teacher that's being approached, and that we, are, we can discover what it means to be born again, again. Now, the significance of this encounter between Nicodemus and Jesus is emphasized by noting what actually happens in the preceding chapter. You see, there... In chapter 2, Jesus has performed his first miracle at a place in Cana of Galilee, where he's uh, turned water into wine at a wedding. And just after that miracle, Jesus goes to the temple where he overthrows a whole bunch of things in the temple. And he has his first confrontation with the religious leaders there, when he clears the temple of all those who are selling and profiting through the religious activity that's happening in the temple. And the leaders are mad. They're mad at Jesus' disruption, and they question his authority. And so we get towards the end of chapter 2 at verse 23, where we're told that many people saw the signs that he was performing and believed in his name. And John concludes that chapter to, describing these crowds that are excited because of the signs that Jesus performs. And there are a series of, there are a series of encounters here that have opened up this, uh, this gospel, and they lead up to this encounter with Jesus and Nicodemus. In fact, this encounter is one of 11 extended conversations between Jesus and an individual that the Apostle John shares with us in his gospel. It's like a movie has been going and playing, and it's been action-packed, fast-paced, and it now slows down for the very first time in a key moment between two key characters. John slows things down for us to look at how Nicodemus's response differs from that of the crowd and that of the leaders. The crowds are all stirred up in a frenzy of excitement because of the signs that Jesus performs. He turns water into wine. Come on, who wouldn't want that? Free wine from water? I was just up at biking up near Frederick and people were pulling water out of the side of the road and I was thinking, man, free water? I'm excited about that. But water, free water and free wine? What could be better than that? Jesus knows that their faith is likely very fickle. It's simply excitement and likely will not ask. And that's why John tells Jesus, tells us that Jesus would not entrust himself to them. The crowds were excited for what Jesus would do for them. But here we have Nicodemus, who on the other hand is a little more pensive, more inquisitive. And so he comes to Jesus in the dark of night, we're told, and in verse 1 and 2, now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He sat on the board. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So in contrast to the crowds who are whipped into a frenzy because of the spectacular nature of Jesus' miracles, Nicodemus is more judicious in his approach to Jesus. His intellect, his extensive training, and his position in society— and his commitment to studying scriptures leads him to Jesus to find out more based on his observation. Nicodemus had seen the signs in Jesus' actions and came ready to ask questions. 
He sought the meaning behind the miracles, recognizing that Jesus could not do what he was doing, quote, if God were not with him. There's something different about Jesus. Nicodemus goes to Jesus, hoping to have his curiosity satisfied, hoping to add more to his theological library or arsenal. But he soon finds out that this encounter will be much more than that. So I ask you, where do we find ourselves located as we approach Jesus? Do we find ourselves inclined to be like the proud leaders who question Jesus' authority over our lives? Or like the crowds who are caught up in the excitement of what Jesus might do for us? See, neither of those sounds as respectable, I think, as what Nicodemus does. If I'm honest with myself, I want to be more like him out of the three. Respected, informed, curious, seeking out the experts for their opinions. But I also find myself a little bit like Nicodemus in how he approaches Jesus in the dark of the night. See, I'm curious, but I don't want others to perceive me as vulnerable or lacking in knowledge. At the very least, I don't want my peers to know that I'm reaching out to this person whose reputation or motives may be questioned. I've got my dignity on the line after all, right? Now, if you're joining us today and you find, yourself, you find that you can identify with Nicodemus, you're curious, you're inquiring about this person named Jesus. You, are, you want to improve your knowledge base. You want to find out what's behind Christianity. You're wondering if there's something different about Jesus and the Christian faith. I want to tell you, you are so welcome to do that together with us. We love people who are seeking and asking questions. It's our desire at WCF for you to come and meet Jesus and encounter Jesus like Nicodemus, like many of us here in this community have. Because I know that he will meet you wherever you are at and with whatever questions you may have. We want to be along with you for this journey of inquiry. So you can ask your questions. You can do that even now. You can drop them in the chat or the comment box and I'll look at them after. Or other people online right now might be happy to chat with you as well. Or you can join us after the service for our 3D sessions where there can be no bad questions asked. And if that's too public for you and you want to inquire in the dark of the night like Nicodemus, you can send me an email. Just go andrew at wcfchurch.org. I'd love to hear from you and have a conversation. But know this. When you come to Jesus, what you find is that your more, is more than a question will be answered. Your questions and curiosity might lead you to Jesus, but Jesus has much more to reveal to you than just wisdom for life. He's more than a good teacher. In, or in our TED Talks world, he is more than a subject matter expert who has curated content for your curiosity. Nicodemus comes to Jesus, acknowledging Jesus as rabbi. He comes to Jesus kind of teacher to teacher, peer to peer, sharing knowledge. And this is actually quite radical for Nicodemus as a respected leader would have likely, as as a respected leader, he would have likely looked up Jesus's credentials and knew that he was a carpenter. He didn't have any official training from an Ivy League seminary, but yet Nicodemus comes and calls him rabbi. He sees there's something worth respecting. In Jesus and comes as a peer. He's intellectually intrigued. But look at how Jesus responds to Nicodemus's opening statement in verse 3. What does, when, when he comes to him, say, hey, teacher, rabbi, 
I see that what you're doing and, and only, God, only God can be with you for you to do those things. Jesus replies like this, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. I mean, like what kind of answer is that? Think about Jesus' response. It's very strange to Nicodemus' greeting. Jesus ju- jumps immediately from theological, intellectual, to deeply spiritual because Jesus is more than a good teacher who offers advice for how to live a better life. Jesus is more than a, a, a teacher to coach and cheer you on through difficult seasons in your life. Jesus is more than a wise sage to live the way of peace and reconciliation in a broken and deeply divided world. Jesus is more than a mentor for you to steward your gifts and your resources effectively for the good of all. Jesus is more than a guru of love and affirmation for every marginalized person. And Jesus is more than a leading agitator against the religious and imperial oppressive powers. He is all those things. We can see all the elements of what Jesus has to offer humanity, but Jesus is far more than any one of those or even the sum of all those together. Nicodemus comes to Jesus thinking, what am I missing in my life that Jesus has to offer to me? What can I add to my life to make me a better person or more complete person? But Jesus' answer seems abrupt because he wants to get to the heart of the problem that Nicodemus had. Nicodemus was seeking, he was longing, but what was wrong with his attitude and the way that he thought his problem was to be solved? It wasn't more knowledge. Jesus points his finger at the core issue. Be born again. You must be born again. The signs that Nicodemus recognized as Jesus being from God were signs of activity in God's kingdom. And the way to experience life in God's kingdom wasn't more knowledge or doing the right things, but to be born again. And this idea of being born again is connected to a key theme that we find throughout John's gospel, and we find it packed in this chapter. In John chapter 1, verse 16, in the very beginning of the, the gospel, John says, and of his, that's Christ, his fullness have we all received, and grace for grace. This fullness that, that John is referring to is something that he comes back to it at the end of the gospel too, in chapter 20, verse 31. He says, he's written all these things. John's written and shared about the life of Jesus, that you might believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Jesus, you might have life in his name. You see, see, to be born again is to live in God's kingdom, is to have eternal life, is to be in heaven, is to have the fullness of life in Jesus' name. So when you hear all these terms, they are all associated with being born again. They're kind of like equal... uh, access to the same idea of this fullness of life that God intends for each one of us. You can't, to, uh, you can't, you, to be born again is to live in, is to have eternal life, is to live in God's kingdom. You can't see the kingdom of God without being born again. You can't satisfy your longings apart from being born again. How often do we come to Jesus and we ask him to help us uh, with our feelings of not enough? Not enough wisdom and knowledge. Not enough security for the fears that we have. Not enough confidence for our shame and insecurity that we experience. 
Not enough affirmation for our sense of identity and for our purpose. Not enough comfort for our loneliness. We come to Jesus and God with all these feelings of not enough. Not enough wealth for our perceived poverty. You see, all these not enoughs that we come to Jesus with point to our core need of experiencing the fullness of life in God's kingdom that's made possible by being born again. We can't come to Jesus to fill up our not enough enoughness with God-inspired coping strategies or spiritual practices. You see, Jesus is more than a teacher. Jesus is more than a therapist. Jesus says, you must be born again. You must be born again to fill the not enoughs in your life. And maybe you've been a Christ follower for many years and you say, well, Andrew, I suppose I know I've been born again because I remember praying a prayer at some meeting or having a come to Jesus moment. I don't get what being born again has to do with my sense of longing. And that's why it might be helpful to revisit what it means to be born again, again. And when I say born again, again, I'm not saying we're, we have to keep praying that prayer. We're not being reincarnated every time. We're trying to get to the core of what it means to be born again. You know, when I go to the dentist, I usually cringe because I have trauma from this whole year, uh, whole lifetime of being asked this question. How's your flossing been? <laughs> now, you might be way better at this habit than I have been, but humor me by listening. You know, because it's a, I'm, not afraid, like, I'm not afraid of that question because of the question itself, but because of how poorly I keep flossing between checkups. For most of my life, I would sheepishly answer something like this, oh, not too bad, but probably not as much as I should be. Knowing full well that the only time that I floss between checkups is when something is stuck between a tooth, two teeth. And I only do that one tooth to get that thing out. I didn't want the dentist to think less of me because of my dental habits. But dentists and dental hygienists, if you're listening, you're probably laughing hearing me say this because I now realize the reason you asked that question it's not because you don't know that I've been flossing, because it's very clear that I haven't been flossing when you look into my mouth. You can tell the condition of my flossing based on my gums and my teeth. But plus, me not flossing means you get to spend more time cleaning, which means you can bill me or the insurance company more anyways, right? Now you should know, uh, and I, now you, you should know that I have been flossing my teeth a lot more now. And I do floss more than one tooth at a time. I do them all when I do floss. But I've come to realize that flossing is not so much about what I've done in the past. But it's, floss, but it's my flossing that's leading to healthier habits and teeth. You know, for many Jews, the way they were born was very important to them. They were born into God's special people group, the Israelites. Their family and their heritage mattered. But here Jesus describes how God is starting a new family. And the original birth isn't enough to be part of this family, to get the benefits of this household. What your birth certificate says is not enough. We need to be born again or born from above, as the original Greek suggests. The word is anothen, born again or born from above. The 20th century theologian Rudolf Boltman writes about this rebirth or new birth, saying rebirth means something more than a human, uh, something more than an improvement in a human. It means that an individual receives new origin 
And this is manifestly something which they cannot give themselves. New birth comes from outside of ourselves. We cannot do it. We cannot make it happen. To be born again is to consider what kind of person each of us is becoming in light of believing in Christ. Not just as a teacher, not just as a therapist, but as Savior and as Lord. To believe in Jesus as Savior is to recognize how his life and his death and his resurrection not only restores our relationship with the God the Father, but also to believe in Jesus as Lord is to say, you are the leader of my life. You are, and I want to follow this pattern that you walked of death, life, death, and resurrection. We are living into our new birth and dying to these parts of our original birth that are broken, that are incomplete, and they're bent out of shape. And by living into our new birth, we are living into this fullness of life, into heaven, into eternal life, into seeing God's kingdom. All these terms that the gospel of that John uses in his gospel. We are moving into this new birth. We're living into the kingdom of God. Being born again isn't just about self-improvement. To be born again is nothing that we can accomplish on our own. We can't conceive ourselves inside our mother's womb. We can't deliver ourselves out of our mother's womb and into the world. We are simply birthed, conceived and birthed through the miraculous work of God. To experience the new birth is to recognize our helplessness in the process in making it happen. All we can do is receive what God has done for us in Christ and believe that we have been born again as we follow and put our lives in Jesus' hands. We cannot be just like Nicodemus and hope to add Jesus and what he has to say to our lives. We must be born again. And if we understand the new birth this way, then it's not just a personal experience to mark some sort of spiritual milestone. It has tremendous ongoing impact and interpersonal impact with the world. You see, participating in God's kingdom is about helping all the things that we feel burdened for in this world become a reality with God's help. Living our born-again lives is addressing all the things that we felt are not enough in our own hearts, in our lives, but also not enough in our world. Not enough justice in our world. Not enough security and comfort for our neighbors. Not enough wholeness. Not everyone is experiencing fullness of life. See, as we live into our new birth, we are also living into God's kingdom being birthed in our world. It's not just a personal decision. Martin Luther King Jr. applies this encounter and comments on this encounter between Jesus and Nicodemus and applies it to structural injustice, particularly with the effects of slavery in America. He, he says of Jesus and applies this, saying, your whole structure must be changed. A nation that will keep people in slavery for 244 years will thingify them, Make them things. Make them objects. Therefore, they will exploit them and poor people generally economically. And a nation that will exploit economically will have to have foreign investments and everything else and will have to use its military might to protect them. All of these problems are tied together. And what I'm saying today is that we must go and say, America, you must be born again. Being born again in Christ means that we can see a new birth 
take place in this world again uh, as well. Things can be changed. Things can be overturned, but from the very core. An encounter with Jesus is more than a question to be answered. It's more than a teacher to add some wisdom to your life. An encounter with Jesus leads to an invitation to being born again in him. An encounter with Jesus leads to this invitation of experiencing fullness of life that only God can offer. A life of completely different quality and character because it is a life sourced from Jesus, the giver of life. And it's a different quality of life, not just for you as an individual, but for the whole world as you live into this new birth. It's what the Apostle Paul refers to as being a new creation in Christ, where the old is gone and the new has come. As followers of Christ, the way we were born and the way that we are now takes a back seat to the way of being born again anew in Christ. You see, I will never experience the fullness of life that God has intended for me by merely adding Jesus to my perceived identity. And for me, my perceived identity might be uh, a uh, uh, straight, you know, Chinese-American male who grew up in Canada, who has a graduate degree and works now in D.C., if this is a core part, if any of these is a core part of identity, Without remembering my new birth in Christ, I will never experience the fullness of life that God has promised to me. To see God's kingdom clearly, to have eternal life, is to, is to see myself as someone who has been born from above and continues to live into this new birth in God's family together with all of you. So we must remember how we are to be born again, again. We become who God has created us to be by living into this new birth every day for our ultimate joy and for the beauty of the created world around us and for God's ultimate glory. May it be so. Amen.